0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Alfie Watton podcast. This is episode 87. Um, as always, the Alfie Watton podcast is brought to you by welovealpha.com. If you're looking to hire software engineers in the UK, whether that's front-end, back-end, or full-stack, go to welovealpha.com to find the developers that you need to scale your team and company. Uh, links in the description. Um, today on the podcast, I'm joined by uh, Ru Perez, uh, Rue is uh, the head of engineering for Vital. He's previously worked for Sphere, which was acquired by Twitter, as well as companies like Babylon Health and the Mail Online and Just Eat to William Hill and other very popular UK brands. Uh, Rue, thanks for thanks for joining me on the show today.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: No problem, mate. Um, well, I've I've given you a brief intro there, mate. But could you um, fill in the blanks? Just just tell us a little bit more about yourself. You know, who is Rue and, and what your background is, please.
1: Sure. So, uh, so most of my background has actually been in, the in mobile in iOS, uh, I've been working around since 2010. Um, and then at Pebble on Health, I had the opportunity to start managing a team. We started with around seven, eight people. Then we would blitz scale to around 25 when I left. Mm-hmm. Um, then I decided to move again, back to IC, uh, at Sphere and then eventually uh I, I actually wrote quite quite extensively about it, but then I decided to go back to engineering management. Sure. And uh and yeah, the opportunity to work at Vital uh came up. Uh it's with one one person that I used to work at Babylon Health. Um so it made sense and and so far so good.
0: Awesome, and quite a similar industry to, to, to Babylon in, in many respects in, in, in that it involves health. Um, for those that don't know, though, could you just tell us a little bit more about Vital and, and, and what you guys do?
1: Sure, so Vital in a, in, a, in a nutshell is we provide a single API for you to, to get fitness and health data. So you can imagine that you have different providers, you have things like Garmin, Strava, Fitbit, and, and usually these integrations uh, can be quite tricky to get right. Uh, they have very particular behaviors. Some of them are documented. Some of them are not documented, and uh, and we try to do our best to provide a single API that you can connect. So you can you can give a link to a user, and they can connect their devices. And uh, and yeah, we provide a single API for that
0: that's cool makes it a lot simpler okay so so the wearables market is something that i'm um, i'm fascinated by and um, at the moment the way that i see it is that it's pretty much dominated just by smartwatches um, however there are a lot of innovations from smart rings to um, smart clothing. I've talked about on the podcast before with a lot of guests. Um, even AR and VR could be classed as a wearable. I mean, it, it technically is, you are you are wearing it. So when you've got the emergence of all these new things um, and obviously watches being currently the dominant device, um, where, where do you see the future of, of wearables, Rue? Do, do you think um, it's going to remain the same perhaps with, with watches leading the front and these new areas just being sort of side projects? Or do you think some of those have the potential to, to take over as major players as well?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. I have my own opinion, my personal opinion, but then I have, I have to put that in context of Vitals work. Sure. So yeah. a lot of things is, is sometimes just having access to that data right? Even independent from where it's coming from, a lot of, or a couple of providers make it quite difficult to have that data available. So if we're able to get some data, we are quite happy, um, but there's also the balance between um, uh, how many people actually use that, how many customers would be interested in having that data. So it's, we can see that more and more, we can see people using it, and the uh, Apple Watch uh, and the uh, Apple Health Kit it's a pretty big player in most of our customers will ask for that. Do you have access to this? Yes or no. Um, and we see that as it's simply because of the amount of people that have an Apple Watch or or an iPhone. Um, it's simply the quantity and the number of people that have uh, one of these devices that really makes us uh, interest in integrating with them.
2: Yeah
0: the The new Apple Watch, for example, is is heavily built towards the the more adventurous type person. Um, even the the has got people scuba diving, climbing up icy mountains, and and, and that sort of thing. Do, do, do you feel that's the direction that a lot of wearables will, will will head in? In that they're not just designed for runners, but they're designed for because it, it just started with cardio, really, and with Fitbits and that sort of thing. But but now it seems like it's almost there for, for any type of uh, adventure and sport person.
1: Yeah, I think I think the issue with with the, with the Apple Watch is really the battery. Yeah. Uh, so the new one really helps on on that regard, independently if you do something extreme or not, uh, right? So the, just the fact that you don't have to to charge it every day that's that's a big plus. Um, I would say that for people that do longer things like ultra ultra marathons or I don't know Ironman like yeah, they would probably go to something like Garmin. Yeah, I would say. Because it's not just the 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 hardware. Actually Garmin does a lot of things in the background. It really helps you sort of understand where you are with your training. Are you improving? Are you stagnating? Uh where are you? And I think I think there's a lot of room for improvement on the Apple Watch, at least in terms of the software side. Mm. What can be done? I think it's lacking a little bit on that. But at least the improvements on the hardware compared to, to just regular Apple Watch are are very much welcome.
0: Oh, absolutely. Even from a safety perspective, the the new Apple Watch um, can detect if you've been in a, in a car accident and uh, and you know automatically call uh, for help, which uh, which is pretty cool. Um, with with um, Vital, then is my thesis correct in that most of the data is still coming from smart watches? And I suppose you mentioned the the Health Kit, so that's like the iPhone and it connects to your other devices with steps. Is that where the majority of stuff is is coming from, or or are you seeing smart rings, smart clothing? Is that is that becoming a thing? Thing, or is that still very much in in idea phase in, in terms of the industry?
1: Yeah, I'm actually using a ring. I use a. Oh, cool! Um, very cool. Um, but the most, the majority of them would come either from just a Fitbit, like in the wrist, yeah, or a Whoop as well in the wrist, okay. or a garment. Uh, so, so the majority of them would come from something that you can put in your wrist. Either you can not see time or not. That's that's a different question because the for example, Whoop wouldn't have wouldn't show you anything, but it's yes. just there gathering data, so that's that's helpful. Um, I think it becomes tricky to get HR, so uh, getting heart rate data. It's it's it really depends on the device, and the majority of people want to know that sort of information, how how much sure. intensity, even if you're just walking. So for, it's interesting because, for example, Whoop doesn't. Who cares about the intensity of your walking or your activity? It's not so much about the number of steps. Sure. For example, the typical ten thousand steps per day It's not yeah. just yeah. that. But it's more about how fast are you doing them? Okay. How how much uh, intensity are putting into those? So so it's interesting. It's interesting how how this is going to develop.
0: What does your ring measure? Is that sleep or is, there, is that is there something else? Uh,
1: it's activity. So your daily activity like yeah. steps. Um, but also the sleep, I find it very comfortable to sleep compared to the majority of um, of devices that are out there. I also have a Garmin, uh, I also have an Apple Watch. Uh, it's just the fact that you have a ring, you don't really feel it. You just sure just wear it, and that's it. You don't feel that there's anything there. I think that's I think the most important thing is is really how regular you are with your device, okay. not necessarily how accurate it is. Because at least you can compare um uh, trends. Yeah. Uh, and if you're improving or not.
0: It's really the consistency, isn't it? If you use it exactly. very occasionally, the data sets just won't be very accurate. Um even if the data is not a hundred percent reliable o- over a long enough period of time, you'll you'll start to, to to catch trends. Okay. Um some people are concerned with wearables from more of a privacy point of view. That they, they, they think, you know, why should Apple potentially have my medical information or, or why should um, Samsung or Gammon you know, have my health records that they're worried about um, that data being misused and potentially use, using it to sell to you or potentially even hacking and um, other negative areas? What what are your thoughts on on the privacy side of of wearables?
1: Apple is quite strict on that. Uh, so in terms of consents, like you're very, it's always very clear for the user that you are sharing a particular data point mm. uh, with someone else. So Apple, on that front, I would say that they do the most compared to everyone else. But even places like Strava, Garmin, when you are about when you put your credentials and you know you get a prompt saying, "Look, this company is about to have access to your data. Which sort of data do you want to give access to these people?" So they they make it. They try to make it very explicit as in, do you consent with this? Yeah. With sharing this data.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the the um scope for potential product recommendations is is something that fascinates me in, in in this space because um I remember a very similar story. This was a couple of years back, I think it might have been Walmart in, in, in the States. There was a um a girl who a young girl who was buying products from the from the store, and she was buying products related to um, I suppose having a having a kid or, or stuff that you'd buy if you were pregnant. And then she started receiving um like coupons through through the door um Mending different baby products, and yeah. and the father found this. He was he was um, you, you know upset. He he had no idea at the time. He went to the store, and then it was revealed she, she was pregnant. And obviously the stuff was recommended because of that. Um, I can see. I'm flash forwarding to, to watching the BBC five years from now, in, in my mind, where um, somebody's suing Tesco because um, they were recommended some uh, diabetes uh, medication or or some product because their watch had told them this. They'd sold that data to a third party um, like Amazon or Sainsbury's or whoever. Um do you see that sort of thing potentially happening in, in in a couple of years or or do you think people will more likely follow the apple privacy model of uh of paying you know making their money more in subscriptions rather than th- that, that personalized level of ads
1: it's a good question i i my take on this is where is thinking where the company does money mm. how did they make money so uh, if if a company is offering a device for free then or service for free is usually you, you are the product and then you need yep. to find a different angle to make money out of you. Um, so for example, companies uh, now with Aura, for example, what they do is you pay for the device, but you also pay for a subscription. Mm-hmm. So there's a recurring, there's money flowing in into Aura. So that's, that's their business model and that's how they make money. Um, what we saw in previous business models would be you buy the device and that's it. And then and now you sort of expect to have maintenance and improvements over, I don't know, two years, three years. But the reality is you only pay the hundred pounds for a device. So you need to start questioning how how do these people actually make money out of this? So that's why that's why it's nice to sometimes to not put a lot of money in, in front, mm-hmm. but then you have to wonder how how would they make money out of me right so that's that's really the question, so i I always ask where is the angle here from these yeah. different companies
0: no it's it's probably the best way to look at it. you know what is their business model? how are they making money if if you're not buying something um largely upfront, then you buy the product and, and your data will be sold to uh, to keep the business alive. um i I was recently um asked to um invest in a a wearable for for dogs that tracked um their level of exercise uh, I didn't, but it it sounded maybe like a decent idea. The more the more I look into the, the space, because people will, will spend anything for, for their for their pets, won't they? It's it's like their their family, um, within reason. Um, what what do you make of wearables for pets? Is this something that you've seen, or is this a, or is this just an out of out of the blue idea which came to me?
1: I would ask, are they still in business? That, still in <laughs> it was business? only a
0: couple of weeks ago, so I, I'd imagine so. Okay,
1: okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I don't know. I find that uh, maybe a bit weird. I don't know, but because the I think the most interesting thing for me is, even for companies like Strava, Garmin, et cetera, is, is sure. once you have that raw data-like steps, et cetera, what do you do with that? What sort of insights do you provide to the person? So I'm I'm thinking about from the animal angle, okay, I know that my dog walked 5,000 steps, but in reality, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Sure. And I think that's where the majority of companies fell a bit short of what they could really accomplish because what people really want is, I don't care if I walk 10,000 steps. Either. I don't care about that. What I care is what 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 is the impact of doing that in my daily life?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the results. I, I kind of envision that it could work in the sense that it will tell you if you have or haven't walked your dog enough in that day, based on um, a lot of different factors. But um, I, I suppose you could make the argument through that the smart uh, wearables are already being used in in animals in in the form of microchips and um, and, and that sort of thing. So I suppose you know or, or air tags, if you would were to consider them a wearable. I mean, only if you know that you've purposely put it on yourself is it's a wearable. Otherwise, it's uh, something malicious. You know?
1: I mean, my cats have a hair tag, so I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got an air tag as well for my uh from my from my puppy, and it's uh they're useful. I mean, they um I I remember back a couple of years ago, it was a different brand. I think it was Tile that was a market leader. Right? I, I think yeah. Apple was, uh, has done a good job in um in establishing you know their their product category in, in that world. But I, I suppose when we when we look at areas like air tags and and the fact that they're getting smaller and smaller, um, part of me sees this inevitably whether this is good or bad um them getting to the point where they're so small where there it goes from a from a laptop to a phone to a watch to ar glasses to embedded under your skin in a in, in the form of some kind of chip whether, whether we put that on um to do other things as well open open doors um pay you know with uh with um n f c technology and and so on um but obviously there's a there's potentially a way to track steps and and how, how i would exercise with, with with that um are you with me in that you predict that probably will happen in a couple of years or do you think that's perhaps a little bit too far and people will will never go through
1: it I'll say that how intrusive is to add that yeah I would say that if you need to need a general anesthetic to put a device, I would say that most people are not interested in that. I would say that if it's as simple as an injection on your arm.
2: Yeah.
1: And obviously it depends on the functionality, of course, but I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Yeah. Um one of them one of them would be, for example, people with diabetes. Sure. Um to measure the, the glucose levels. I think that's that would be a, a, a game changer for them
0: yeah for for people like i think that will be the way that it, it probably starts people with pre-existing medical conditions they can have a you know some kind of implant injection and and it will um help prevent something that's that's already there um however those people suddenly then have a superpower over, over the rest of us they they are they are half cyborg you know they are the singularity has, has reached us at that point so we, we then people without those th- those conditions my logic takes me to, to the fact that they probably will start doing something similar as well in order to almost stay competitive um the the most extreme example would be elon musk's uh Neuralink, um sort of situation how he's you know trying to build a chip in our brain but but before we get to the brain which is obviously a lot more complex we will probably start to um to deal with with areas like diabetes that, that you mentioned as well but um it's a tricky one to say. Like, I, I don't know how many years from now we're, we're talking until this is commonplace. But um, next ten years, maybe, maybe, maybe it's 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 just as common to have a, a an Apple Watch as it is to have a, a small chip in you that that can help with payments and, um, and health data and, and that sort of thing. Would that be far fetched, or, or do you think ten years could be possible?
1: I don't think so. I think it's already happening. For example, if you look at companies like Ultra Human, yeah. where you put the badge to measure your, again your glucose levels even even if you're not a diabetic a diabetic yeah the goal is really just to see your sugar levels while you're competing while you're doing some activity so you can tune in your nutrition while while observing what are your levels so th- that is already happening and if i have to say that's that's a massive advantage for a person that is doing you know a 5 to 10 hours ultramarathon Absolutely. Where you're just tweaking, and you know exactly, or you have a pretty good idea, if you are, if you're hitting the wall, how much you need to to eat, et cetera. Like that's 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 already a, a massive advantage over a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can see yeah athletes especially that they could they could be using this this technology in a, in a massive way um It will almost be at the point where I remember watching a documentary about the um <laughs> the whole doping situation with cyclists um yeah. A while back and there was a point where in order to get into the top 20 30 people you had to be doping otherwise it just wasn't possible to get into the, that, that top tier level Um this obviously is, is is nothing that's that's illegal right now in in, in athletics I, I don't believe I don't see why it would be but um, it will probably be a situation where in order to be one of those top people you will have to be using something like this on, on a daily basis to to figure out how to improve how to get better and that, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I know, I know for a fact that top athletes are doing that. Yeah. So one of them is just measuring your heart rate variability. Okay. So, so this tells you, uh, this measurement tells you how, how much rested you are. Yeah. How, how much stress your body is. And I know for a, for a fact, because they say they use it and they use this measurement that they, it's something that they pay close attention to. Sure. Um, yeah. Interesting.
0: OK, if we take a step back from wearables for, for, for a second, then just um, from a software engineering perspective, you've been in this field for a long time. Um, you know, you've been an individual contributor. You've you've developed a lot of code. You've also built, scaled, managed teams. Um what what advice would you give to the software developers that, that are watching this? So the majority of our audience are in tech and our engineers, um, people that are perhaps starting out their career or maybe they've been in it for a few years. What, what sort of pieces of advice do you wish perhaps you knew when you were at, you know at their level a couple of years back? You know what what recommendations, tips, insights would, would you give to those people listening?
1: Um, I would say that if you're starting, I would suggest to find something that you just like to do. Uh, and this might seem obvious, but a lot of people might be chasing uh, a bigger salary, a uh, sure. bigger remuneration. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think when you focus on something that you like, it brings a lot of motivation and that allows you to go for a longer period of time. Uh, so I would say, I would give that my suggestion. Um, I, I can also say that the biggest regret I have in my professional career was because I was chasing a bigger salary. Mm. And um, and yeah, sure. Uh, it's always nice, of course, but uh, there, there's a threshold where having a bigger salary is not really gonna massively impact your life. You're not gonna be a lot happier. So then you have to probably optimize for the eight nine hours that you're working on a daily basis. Sure, it's sort of stuff that you really find interesting. Um, so I'd say either look for a tech, either front end, back end, mobile, whatever. And then try to also focus on something that you're passionate about in terms of products, something that you, you you, yourself, you'd use it as a customer. And I think that really makes um, a satisfying professional career. I would yeah,
0: say. yeah, it's similar to something um, Steve Jobs once said, where he said that, look, if you're not really, really, really passionate about what you're doing, you're probably going to fail. Because you're not going to put in the work that, that's required compared to one of your competitors that, that might be really interested in, in this field. And they're just going to run rings around you because they're going to be willing to work harder. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to, of course. That, that energy is going to rub off on people. So if you're not, if you're not happy with the industry, that the job, the career that you're in, it, it's probably a good thing to, uh, to to reassess as quickly as possible. It's nothing, uh, it's not a bad thing to uh, to get off that treadmill if it's not the right one for you. Um yeah. Okay. What about from the other side of the coin? Um, you've um, built engineering teams, you've, uh, you, you've led developers. What, what, what advice would you give to people that are looking to scale their, their team, perhaps looking to recruit, looking to build culture, looking to, to, to retain staff and, and build a, um, you know, a, a 10x team of engineers? What, what recommendations would, would you give to people that are kind are of going through that journey?
1: That's such a tricky question. Yeah. um it's it's tricky because i would say that my approach not vital is is a bit different than what i had at, at babylon sure um at babylon the focus was to um, we're looking for a particular set of people that working on a particular technology that we believed uh would be uh fundamental for what we're doing but also into the future and that played quite nicely for us so we're able to attract um i would say a really good set of people uh, at babylon um at vital it's it's different because it's a smaller team mm-hmm. so we expect sort of slightly different behaviors like um you look for people that have a lot of drive you look at people that are quite independent and autonomous you don't need to give a lot of guidance um as an example we don't have product managers sure or or anything like the idea is you see a customer, you see a problem, you discuss with the team and then you drive it yeah um this is something that we're not looking for at Babylon because at Babylon we always have a pm that could yeah, sort of help
0: a much, much bigger organization yeah yeah,
1: yeah, so it's it's it depends on what your context, what you're looking for um it's it's <laughs> I'm not answering your question. That's, That's okay. That's okay. No, no, answer, no. Yes.
0: Well, let, let me answer it in this way then. Um, ask it in this way, rather. Um, what advice would you give to people perhaps that are at large companies as managers looking to get the most out of their their teams? So we'll start with Babylon and then we'll get onto um onto vital. Let's say you're you're in a large organization again and you you went back to Babylon or somewhere else. What what sort of things would you do to get to get the best out of your engineers?
1: Yeah, I think I think a tricky one is the the larger the, the 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 company, I would and I saw this at Babylon. I can yeah. see other examples in industry. Is I would say there is a big portion of engineers that are not fully fully engaged in the work simply because they don't have, have a lot of work to do. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I, would, I I could see that in the last year at Babylon that I have engineers occupy seventy percent of their time. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could see that. Um, so the the trick, the tricky thing about large organizations is that you start to have a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, a lot of meetings. Um, people then start to not really. It's it's difficult to, to keep engineers engaged if the only thing they're doing is meetings and discussions. And it's good when an engineer and I would have engineers. I'll, I, give me a task that I can stay one week working on that. I can just fully focus on this thing and I can just drive this. But it's difficult to find this, right? You have you have different teams and and then sometimes you'd have a team that is dependent on the other. So there's a lot of discussion about, do I own this? Do you own this? Yes. How, how do we go about, about this particular thing? So it, a, lot of, a lot of my work as, as an engineer manager was trying to understand exactly what is this team supposed to do? What is the goal of this team? Making sure that they are as independent as possible from each other one and they can be autonomous and fully own um they're vertical but it's very tricky to do this and the, the bigger the company the more the more difficult it becomes
0: i i understand that full on from working from one of the largest recruitment companies in the world for, for over five years to then going to launching my own startup it's um it's a completely different yeah. set of goals and objectives needed when when scaling um what about on, on the startup side then what what are you doing differently than you than you did at babylon perhaps
1: yeah, I yeah. The and a lot of reasons why people join us is, is or want to to join Vital is really the idea that they can own their thing and they can drive big pieces. The canonical example is I don't want just to be changing colors of a button. I actually want to do meaningful stuff. And that's the reason why you get a lot of um applicants. But yeah, then the question is very pedantic about how how you work in terms of how you write. How you express yourself so communication is quite important for us because we also remote a remote team, sure. a synchronous remote team. We have around four to five hours of meetings per week, so that's that's not a lot, that's actually quite quite little. So we, yeah. we evaluate communication a lot. Uh, I didn't really have that need at Babylon, so everyone is working in the office. Communication, even if you're not very good at communication because you're just physically next to the person, mm-hmm. you can sort of mitigate that. So, um a lot of drive, because in a startup you need that. You need people that are able to. You don't need to ask them to do the right thing. Yeah. They intrinsically know that this is the thing that they should be doing. And this is this is a skill that. How do you interview for this? Right? How 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 do you difficult interview for one. this particular skill? Yeah. Uh, so it's difficult. It's, I I would say that it's much more difficult to to hire in a startup. Um
0: yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to hide a big company um if you are not as motivated perhaps as, as some other people are there whereas in a startup you have to wear multiple hats and uh, it's pretty tricky to uh to, to hide in a startup especially if you're working directly with the founders or, or, or people that are there um, you know running uh, a large part of the company and, and that sort of thing um OK, before we um, finish up, I was keen to ask you about your opinion of what's happening with the whole uh, Twitter um, sphere, given that sphere was acquired by by Twitter and you were a tech lead there for um, a while. Um, obviously, Elon talked about buying it. Then he was not going to buy it. Now he's bought it now he's uh, reinstated a bunch of people that were banned now there's there's been a lot of chaos with the the, the blue verified ticks with um, brands um being copied and and posting stuff it it, it seems like um Elon Musk is, is clearly incredibly successful in in a number of areas. He he knows how to build businesses. Um, it seems like this has had a pretty rocky start, regardless of how, how how if you like him or don't like him. Um potentially he'll pull it off, and um, and everybody will look back at these these few weeks and go, "He's a genius," or or perhaps um, we'll, <laughs> Twitter will crumble and we'll have something else. I mean, MySpace, Friendster, they they all vanished at at one point, right? Um, what what do you make of of everything that's been happening in the past couple of weeks, sir?
1: i think we need another episode for for, for that but uh yeah, <laughs> i think i think what i'm seeing right now is you have two two teams one of them is very much anti Elon musk sure. as in this guy has no idea what he's doing he's clueless to destroy the culture he's being really he's not respecting people yeah um and then you have a different set of people saying this is good Take these sort of tech companies that are bloated, they have too many employees, most of them don't do much and 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 you have you have these two fields and normally the truth is more or less in the middle somewhere uh I think that his approach has been quite destructive mm. um i think um I think at this point probably seventy five percent eighty percent of the people left yeah, something like that yeah, yeah. um I, I'm I'm curious about the motivation of people that are there now. Um, a lot of what's been talked is because people have visas, so they're stuck there; they cannot run away Definitely from there. Sure. Okay. Um, so I say that there's likely a percentage of people that are there because of that. I would say that there's also a percentage of people that are there because they're just excited about what sure. it's going to bring. But then it depends on who you ask. Yeah. What is really happening there? I think. Uh, I think it's tricky. I think you put it, looking at what what I've said, because a lot of work that is done at Twitter was um, uh, in-house products, tech products. Uh, Their infrastructure was on-premise. So there was a lot of tooling that was developed inside Twitter. So this is not something you can just buy off the shelf and get it running. So I, I do wonder that if you fire two or three teams that have institutional knowledge about how to run these things, how exactly you're going to maintain these things? Yeah. How yeah. exactly are you're going to onboard new engineers to 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 deal with this if everyone is gone? Like like I I do wonder about these things, and I think he was maybe a bit too destructive, too harsh. I think he I don't think he was very respectful of the people that were there. Um. But part of me as well. But part of me also thinks that. I find it odd that a company like Twitter needs seven thousand people. Yeah, I I have to say that I find it quite odd. Um, I think they could probably do with a lot less people sure. than that to get things yeah. going. Um, and as a customer, when you look at features that are coming from Twitter, yeah, um, you do wonder what are all these people doing? Because because as a customer, as a customer, I don't see a lot of stuff coming up new to, to, from Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. Things like, like communities—it's yeah,
0: it's, been—it's been almost nothing, right? Spaces yeah. is a new thing, but this hasn't been much.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think and and from what I heard, Spaces was actually quite quite fast in development. I think it was they put it in their 8 players, yeah. working on Spaces, and that's why there was because this started with Clubhouse, so Clubhouse yeah, yeah, came yeah, in, and, they, and then they're they like, okay, step, let's let try to yeah. to catch up and um, and I think they did a good job, but. I don't know. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, but I still think that he was uh, pretty harsh, pretty caustic in how sure. he started it. Yeah,
0: I'm probably of the exact same opinion of you, really. That there is there's clearly a middle ground between people that are yeah. saying he is the enemy of the people versus the people that, that that are saying, um well, the complete opposite, really. You know, it's clearly. It's not as simple as a black and white uh, white argument, really. But either we'll find out probably in a couple of weeks to a couple of months if, if the guy is, a, is an absolute genius or, or a ruthless genius, maybe, but, um, or he's completely got it wrong this time and uh, <laughs> it crumbles. Uh, it does have me worried. You know, there are, there are t- I know people um, who have been let go from Twitter who um, were in teams of 20 people that are now two people and they're running essential parts of the infrastructure that that, that are keeping it going. Um Look, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and find out. But it, it, interesting getting your perspective anyway on it, given that uh, you work for a, a company which was then acquired by, by Twitter.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, got, I get some, uh, some gossip from Twitter. Uh, so that's always, I, I get some insights from what's happening there. Um, but, uh, but even those insights are in two camps. Yeah, Even yeah. people that are employees have an opinion that some of those things that he's doing are not bad. Actually, people are excited about
0: it. Yeah. So let's wait and find out. Perhaps we can do another one of these in a few months. See, see what's happened after the uh, the dust and the rubble has has gone, and we'll, we'll review it and come back to it. Let's see that. Okay. Cool. Well, look, Thanks for thanks for coming on. Root. It's good to um to get your insights, your perspectives into into wearables, into into advice for developers, leaders, and um, and your thoughts on Twitter. Um. Thanks to everybody for watching as well. Make sure that you're followed, subscribed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, on on Spotify, where we're coming out um, every other week with conversations with technology leaders, uh, CTOs, heads of engineering, uh, technology recruiters to give people the access, the insights into into the world of tech. Uh, my face was just flashing. Read for those on video. There, that's my uh, that's my light uh, telling me the episode's over. But um, thanks very much for, uh, for for your time, Roo. Thanks for everyone for for watching, okay. and uh, see you in the next episode.
2: Imagine if you were able to hire the next Elon Musk, or if you got a job at Facebook, back when it was just a startup. Well, these people and these opportunities, they are still out there, and we have access to them, access to all of them. At Alpha Technology, we specialize in software development recruitment across London and the UK. From React to Java to C Sharp and more, we represent the best front-end, back-end, and full-stack engineers on the market. This includes top developers from Meta, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and more. Our clients operate across AI, blockchain, VR, AR, fintech, edtech, HealthTech, and more. From startups to global enterprises and everything in between. But Alpha isn't just a recruitment agency. We are also a tech community. We host podcasts, run meetup events, and lead EDI initiatives, supporting women in technology, BAME individuals, and the Tech for Good ecosystem. So, if you're a company looking to hire software engineers, or if you're a developer open to new opportunities yourself, then we are here to help. Alpha Technology. Recruiting for the future.